Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kitchen Gods Podcast, episode 21. Ooh, 21. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> it's legal. Drink. I was just, that's, that's what I was going to say. I wasn't going to say, wow, I can't believe it. But I just did it. Just, I 21. It. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Good. What did that's you do awesome. for your 21st birthday, Ken? Who I, forgot I to introduce. was. So thank you. Hi. Hi. Um, I was, it, well, first of all, I don't drink, so I don't have that. I don't have the right. celebratory stuff. Although it was celebratory, I was actually living in Florence during my study abroad program and <laughs> yeah, super fancy. I believe no one wanted to actually go out and do anything. So I mm-hmm. stayed home and I sketched the bell tower of the cathedral across the street from our apartment. That's amazing. I know. Isn't that a romantic <laughs> and super boring and lonely story for a 21st birthday? Uh, my 21st birthday, I went to dinner with my parents. I didn't nice. order a drink because I was embarrassed <clears throat> about turning 21. <laughs> and yeah, I, I didn't drink at all really back then. No. Um, no, it was. Yeah, till, but that's still. That, yeah. Well, where, <laughs> where, where were you at the time? I was in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. So my okay. father was a teacher at the Army War College in okay. Carlisle. And I lived there for, I guess, four or five months in between moving state from state. And yeah, I worked at the PX at the oh, Carlisle. That's cool. That's super yeah. fun. Good yeah, good times. Yeah, I have a question yeah. for you. Did, okay. Did you get anything interesting in the mail last week? I did. What? Yes. I <laughs> that was got... just a random question. I have no idea what it could be. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought it up. Um, <laughs> no, the the folks over at Paul Newman's um, sent over a care package. So what? I got some salsa. And yeah, I posted it on the Instagram. If you want to see, I got like, you know, a couple bags of pretzels and some tomato sauce and stuff. But it was so sweet. And they were, they sent a really nice note that they had liked the podcast. So that was incredibly touching. I was yeah. so thrilled that they had heard it. Was not surprised by that answer, by the way, just for, for those of you who, who <laughs> I'll pull back the curtain. But it's it's just so cool. We hope they're listening tonight. We hope, we assume they're, they're all yeah. listening, and, you know, and that's, uh, that's awesome. And tonight's episode is brought to you by Porsche. And, and uh, Bonneville <laughs> Triumph. I would like a motorcycle and Ken would like a new Porsche sure. so I think that's but that's okay. but that's awesome that they were that yeah. down they found the show and they were touched it was a it's awesome it's one of it's one of those cool things and being in and around podcasts for a long time knowing that you're getting feedback from anybody first of all is cool but getting mm-hmm. getting getting feedback from somebody you, you would not expect it for who did go kind of a, you know above and beyond to to show their recognition was really cool and so not a cease and desist I was so that's thrilled not that to was get it was it was one or the other right uh-huh. and, and, you know. <laughs> so. George Washington Carver's people are working on their cease and desist right <laughs> right now exactly yeah um, so go back and listen to that episode if you haven't yeah it's a great one Newman episode that was a really fun one yeah so what's on but for like tonight so speaking of my dad yes. and carlisle let's Barracks, speak about your dad he had the idea for tonight's podcast uh and to backtrack just for a second i just found out why corned beef is called corned beef okay have you ever given that any thought or <laughs> any hunches why it would be called corned beef no, I, I, I guess I guess I always assumed it was just it had something to do with process mm-hmm. and at some point corn was used in the in in the processing or the drying or the aid of the meat. But yeah, or I had I had wondered if the cow maybe was fed corn. Oh yeah. So corned beef is called that because the way it is made, it's soaked in a brine first, and the kind of salt that you use is about the size of corn kernels. Okay. So that's why it's called corned beef because they're called it's so like no corn actual salt. corn involved. Corns of salt Corns is what they're of called. Salt. Okay. Yes. 
sometimes some spices are added, some sugar. Um, but yeah, it's essentially like a cured meat. It okay. changes the color, it changes the texture. And it's super, um, because it's been so soaked in salt, it's great to be tinned. It will last an eternity. Okay. And because of that, it's usually what you would find in your tin as a soldier if you're if you don't have access to a mess hall mm. and you're being given some sort of ration. It's, it, it was often going to be a tin of corned beef. Okay. I like spammy. Sort yeah. Of, well, sort of you, stuff. There's there's worse things to you know find in your rations, I suppose. Yeah, but if you think. You know, you're out in the field for a month and a half and all you're getting is, so your rations during World War One would include something like hardtack biscuits, mm -hmm. which I, I would love to think are the elven biscuits from Lord of the Rings, but I, they're actually, you know, like yeah, solid, right. solid dog biscuit type things. It would include some ground coffee, some sugar, tobacco with some rolling papers okay. to make your own signatures, sure. and some corned beef. So not a lot of variation. After World War I, researchers at the Quartermaster Substance and Research Development Lab in Chicago, they were the guys that were figuring out what all of our soldiers were going to eat. They went to work to cook up something better for the soldiers in the field. So okay. better nutritionally and also something that, you know, wouldn't make you sick to see the rations coming towards you. They came up with sea rations or sea rats. So the letter C. Uh -huh rations and if you were in the field and didn't have access to the mess hall again you'd get these 12 ounce tin plate cans that you would open up with a key and the key is really cool if you ever see these like antique i remember I, I, I actually i haven't seen the physical ones but i but i remember the cartoons yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only place i've seen the depiction and bugs bunny with big four yeah, uh -huh, yeah. Inside, you would find a banquet of deliciousness. Okay, nice. it was like Harry Potter. Candles would come out, little <laughs> whipped cream. House elf serving it, was it to you. Amazing. No, it was terrible. They were not delicious. Adam. They, but they were super calorie dense, and it was better than corned beef. There would be spaghetti and tomato sauce, or chopped ham, or eggs and potatoes, or meat and noodles, pork and beans. The most unpopular was the ham and the lima beans. But despite being the most unpopular, they kept it in there for like 15, 20 years. It never <laughs> it would for, never go it, away. It probably the in, the it was the lowest cost. I'm assuming. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you would get like chicken and veggies and stuff. Okay. They had chocolate in there, gum. Uh, sometimes there'd be a cookie and some smooth, smooth Chesterfield cigarettes. Nice, of course. <laughs> so you gotta keep you gotta keep the habit going. Yeah, you'd get four cigarettes in, in each of your rations. So you're carrying around a ton of cans. Mm -hmm. it's you're getting about 3,700 calories per day. Wow. Yeah. Super, super calorie That's calorie crazy. Dense. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have picked that high. And it was good that you could eat them cold. I mean, how right. to be able to eat beans and spaghetti and tomato sauce and meat with noodles and not have to heat it up. Mm -hmm. It didn't taste great, but right. it was safe. And that was huge. Right. So the cans were heavy as all get out. If you were carrying around three meals a day, you're carrying over five pounds in food. Wow. That's a lot on your back. It's for a lot. The whole day. And you're not just going to be carrying well, no, around one got, day's worth of food, else. you know? You're, you're everything. Yeah. You're carrying it's crazy. You need. Despite how heavy they were, they were used up and through the Vietnam War. Hmm. Would still float around. You would still see them every once in a while, even after. What after does the C stand for in C rations? Did you say that already? Yeah, Ken, I would say that uh, C ration means combat ration. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And if, <laughs> or, it, canned, canned or canned, canned combat. Canned yeah. or combat. It could have been CC ration. Mm -hmm. We'll never know. CNC music ration. That would be <laughs> Everybody eat now. 
I'm glad you were able to pull that lyric out because I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) I'm just a squirrel trying to get a nut to move your butt on the dance floor. The K rations, which came next. Mm, Delicious, Mm. delicious K rations. They were delicious in the sense that they could withstand tropical heat and sub-zero stints. So our C rations weren't quite as robust. Robust. That's a great word. Um, They weren't so yummy but then they and they were slightly less caloric you would only get 2700 calories per day for the so kids, about a, yeah yeah so about a thousand less calories um but it, they, they weren't too bad they were considerably lighter and remember how cracker jacks were packaged in a special wax paper yep. airtight the, box uh-huh. same they're the ones who packaged k rations really? and came up with that yeah that was such such a an innovative way to package the Cracker Jacks that changed their entire industry that it also uh, ended up making food safe to eat for thousands upon hundreds wow. of thousands of and soldiers. Lighter. So much lighter. Night yeah. and day. Ansel Keys. He is our kitchen god of the week. Is that where the K comes from? Yeah. Cool. Okay. And K's for Keys, Ansel Keys. He was an incredibly remarkable man. Okay. He was born in 1904 mm-hmm. in Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. It's random, but of some note, his mother was Lon Chaney's sister. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Ansel and his parents move out to California uh, as Lon is starting to get more more, more popular. Mm-hmm. They lived in San Francisco and they got scared off by the Great Quake in 1906. Okay. But not too scared to leave California. So they just went from San Francisco up to Berkeley, okay. which is where he grows up. But okay. he is super, super gifted. And a lot of gifted kids, even still today, if you're not being constantly stimulated, you're going to get bored and you can go down a very dark path or mm-hmm. you can get distracted incredibly easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was super gifted and they didn't have G&T programs sure. back then. And his parents were incredibly young. They had gotten married and had him when they were still teenagers okay. as well. So the, the family life was, was a little bit hectic. In high school, he drops out. He gets really super bored and he starts to do these kind of crazy odd jobs. So he's like 13, 14 years old. Okay. When he leaves home, uh, he works as a bat guano shoveler in Arizona. Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> so he, he went from Berkeley, California at 13 to Arizona on his own? Yes. Yeah. He ran away from home. All right. And he's like, you know, mid-teens now. Uh, and yeah, he's, I thought he was really smart, but here he is shoveling bat poop in Arizona. Sure, but hey, he well, got to see Arizona. Arizona I mean, and bat poop. It's an adventure. Right. Then he goes to Colorado, where he's a powder monkey for a uh, mine. You're going to have to slow down. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> what is a powder monkey? A powder monkey is a person who would run with the explosives. So on a boat, <laughs> if you were on a pirate ship or something, the powder monkey would be someone who would take the powder, gunpowder uh-huh. to the cannons. Got and it. if you're doing that in a mine, you're somebody who is moving explosives here and there just to, because they're, they're blowing up tunnels to get sure. to whatever it is they're mining. Got it. So that's what he's doing it's in Colorado. Very interesting. I I never I never heard that term. And there's a, <laughs> a it it's funny because it kind of plays into the military theme. But there was a on the um the battleship New Jersey. And, oh neat. Uh, they, they 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 did an overnight with the Boy Scouts, and so we got to we got to go there. But there the one one of the uh, in the in the gunning room where they they took you on the tour and they showed you how fifty pound bags of powder would uh-huh. would come down a chute and one sailor would would take it and toss it to the to the people loading the shells and it was just like 50 pound bag and just rapid fire going and going and going so powder monkey reminded me of that 
Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it, it just, had to be a tough job. Dangerous, everything, everything dirty. Everything about that was dangerous and dirty. And so here's so so here here's he a is. Super in, smart. 13 year old in the mind. Well, no, he's probably mid to <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, and, yeah. he's, and he's and he's shuffling, ex- running with explosives. Mm-hmm. Good band name. So from there, he goes to a lumber camp also okay. in Colorado and he works in a lumber camp for a while. I don't know if, he, if at this point he's so strong that he's chopping down trees or not, but still dangerous yeah, job. Why not? Yep. If you're... This all happens before he's 18. He's already had wow. all of these different jobs. All, wow. He's already traveled the whole Midwest and it's quite a lot of life experience to pack in there. So much. He manages to come back to Berkeley gets his high school diploma still before he's 18 and then he takes off for college. So he goes to university of California at Berkeley mm-hmm. uh, at 19 years old. He gets married at 19 years old. He gets divorced. Whoa. All <laughs> boom, right. boom, boom. Yep. He's like packing okay. it all yep. in. Uh, he got bored with his major in college, which was chemistry and runs off again. So now he's working as an oiler, which is another funny name mm. uh, as an oiler on a, um, a boat that was going to China. And so an oiler is somebody who works <laughs> in a factory or on a, a big like steamship who would run around and oil the machinery as it would need it. So, so it's pretty much what it sounds like. Okay. So not, yeah. got it. Okay. Not quite as esoteric as powder monkey, but go yeah. on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, so since this ship was going to China, that is where he went. And he, he says of the time that he doesn't remember there actually being any food on the boat, that they just essentially drank alcohol the entire time. And it's all a blur. He doesn't really hmm. remember it much. So glad he got back safely. Sure. Uh, and when he gets back, he goes, he returns to UC Berkeley, mm-hmm. switches majors to poli sci and economics. All right. Which is what you switch to if you don't know what you're going to major in. Yes. And so the so poli sci majors represent. <laughs> so let me, let me, let me get it. Let me get a year check here. We're probably in the early twenties, lady, late, like teens, early twenties. The mid 1920s. Okay. Mid twenties. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So he is, he's 18 when he graduates from high school. He'll be 21 when he graduates from college. Got so it. despite all of these travelings and side adventures, He's still on a very normal kind of age track for somebody, it's, you know, our age. Incredible. It's wicked I, smart. Yeah. Wicked smart. Wicked smart. Yeah. He now has his Bachelor of Arts in Poli Sci and Economics. Mm-hmm. Uh, he stays on in school for three more years, gets his master's in zoology. Okay. Two years later, now 1928, for a hot minute, he gets a job working for in Woolworth's management trainee program. Okay. Besides, that's not for him. Mm. Yeah, he gets out of there really fast. (laughs) And he goes to the Scripps Institute of Oceanography, where he gets a PhD in oceanography and biology. Okay. Again, this took him two years. He gets his first PhD in two years. Sure. Uh, He gets a fellowship in Denmark to study. This is two years. And then he goes to, and he's studying oceanography at this time in Denmark. Uh, Then he goes to take some classes at Cambridge and moonlights throughout teaching at Harvard. So he would come back, teach at Harvard for a little bit, go back to Cambridge, take some classes and get a second PhD from Cambridge in physiology. Oof. All right. So it's 1936 now. My goodness. He's packed in however many jobs. He's 28. He's, he's, <laughs> he's 14 yeah, years exactly. old. He's 32 years old now. Wow. Okay. So throughout all of his schooling, he had done a lot of uh, very 
important thought-provoking research. Uh, he found a way to prove that fish can regulate their salt content by controlling their chloride excretions. Same. Yeah, hello. <laughs> That's can't. what I do. I mean, <laughs> I was the only one who could do it. But you know, I never thought, I mean, you see fish in brackish water, you see fish in salt water, and it never occurred to me that they are doing something on a physiological level so that they don't die mm. in this salty, salty water or not enough salty water that they're, sure, they're able to regulate. They're it. controlling that. That's incredible. And yeah. So he figured out a way to prove that that was actually happening hmm. which at the time. Nobody believed him. Sure. Uh, he studied people too. Okay. So people's physiology. Threw them into brackish water. See what happens. <laughs> Michelle's gills are all salty. <laughs> I got some chloride backup. I need some help. So he's, while he's in school too, he starts to perform these kind of extreme experiments on people. He studies mm. the effects of high altitude by creating a school project for himself. And they tell him, go ahead, you can go do it. And he, he goes to the Andes. <laughs> with a team of friends or a team of colleagues. I'm sure they weren't friends if he was like, hey, He's let's not, go. Let, <laughs> don't worry. Just climb the mountain. <laughs> we'll be fine. Yeah. Why are you um, wearing oxygen? We're not. Don't worry about that. <laughs> that's not important right now. <laughs> so he goes to the Andes with a team in 1935. And they spend, I've now I've seen during my research, I saw that he spent a few weeks there to a few months there so somewhere in there but that's time um, is irrelevant with this dude so so it's, know, not, it's really not that big of a deal that is an excellent point kim yeah, thank you for that probably... so he spends this amount of time at 9500 feet so 9500 feet and then he spends another couple of weeks at 15 to twenty thousand feet okay very very high up in the mountains yeah. you would get a lot of altitude sickness and you know what he found what <laughs> there's no good way to predict how or who is going to have any kind of negative response to altitude sickness. Interesting. To altitudes. It doesn't matter what your physiology is. You may react to a high altitude different than someone who's strapping and strong. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so, so stop trying to predict, to predict that. Ken. So, to, well, well I, 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 I was on, I was on a, a, a trip across the Rockies and we had five people and one, one of us got altitude sickness. We all, huh. we all endured the exact same trip. We, we arrived at the same time. We had the same acclimation time and we're all in relatively the same condition. And we, we, we were riding bikes and we ascended, uh, you know, it was a crazy first day ascent and one of us got really ill. And huh. everyone else was okay. We were we were tired and, and exhausted from the thinner air, but yeah. But yeah, no one of one of our party got got really sick. Scary, yeah. Yuck. Started we started in Telluride, six thousand, yeah. I think, and we went uh, and we went to we went to fourteen thousand on the first day. Good God. Yeah. <laughs> was Is that bit, even safe? Is it that was safe bit, to go it in was one a, day? It was a bit much. We had to fourteen. No, we might have gotten to eleven thousand. I forget where we went. It was more than we wanted uh, to without acclimating. And you were on bikes? Longer. We were on bikes. Were they e-bikes? <sighs> Come no, on, man. We That's were, nuts. No, it was mountain yeah, mountain bikes. We were How on, we big were, on, were your thighs? We were five, five calves. My calves. But it yeah. was uh, no, we were we were on fire roads and and uh it, your it was your calves were on fire. It might I might I'm I'm I probably have my numbers wrong because I think I think the number I have in my head the first day I sent was 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 forty eight hundred feet between mm -hmm. between where we were and where we where we wound up. But it was it was enough it was enough to make to make my my friend very sick and Yuck. and but it but it is it, se it seemed random it was rough poor guy yeah so now he's 36 okay he takes a research job at the mayo clinic okay. and while he's at the mayo clinic he hires margaret haney mm -hmm. 
as a medical tech. And Ken, guess what? what? They got married. <laughs> no. Yeah. They did, got it married. La- did it last more than a year this time? It lasted forever and ever. Oh, good. Okay, good. Yes. Till death did they part. Good um, for them. They had three kids two of whom were incredibly successful or are incredibly successful successful doctors okay. in their own fields. Um, sure. And the other one sadly died okay. when she was in her 40s mm-hmm. in Jamaica. She was shot by a thief. Whoa. Yeah. All right. Crazy. The Mayo Clinic, he was only there for a year before. He's like, this is mayonnaise. It's boring. <laughs> here. It's he not heads- actually what it stands for, but go on. <laughs> he heads over to the University of Minnesota. Okay. Go Gophers. Yeah. And starts to teach physiology there. So all this time studying physiology and how the body works, he's studying how people can build muscle, how you can stay awake. What are the effects on that you will experience as you go through sleep deprivation? And it's only natural that the army would find him and ask him for help. Mm -hmm. And his first subject was this scrawny Brooklyn kid named Steve Rogers. Uh, Come on. (laughs) I'm like, wait a second. But it was Chris Um, Evans for real. (laughs) <laughs> no and, and what's what's the saddest part of the story is that the army didn't want his help at all at all for why he <laughs> actually approached them when world war ii is imminent he gets into contact with the quartermaster corps and is, is like oh my god do you guys have any food for emergency rations what are you going to do what are you what are you going to feed these soldiers mm-hmm. uh the army in its infinite wisdom way and tells him to leave it to the pros okay yeah. So what they were about to head into war with were sea rations, five pound cans per day, six large cans in your pack. For, it would just be one day's worth. Mm. And the inventor of the sea ration was this guy, Paul Logan. Okay. Uh, he invented them. And his, his claim to fame was that he created the most disgusting candy bar of all time. Oh, no. The Logan bar. Mm, it was good. calorie dense. It was sure. 600 calories. It was a chocolate bar that he made with oat flour and off tasting dried vegetables. And the reason he mm. made it taste so disgusting, it was actually on purpose, was because he didn't want soldiers to eat it for fun. He wanted them to only be eating it when they needed it. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. You're a real, real mensch. Yeah, I was going to say the fun police. Thanks. Don't enjoy yourself. Yeah. Whatever. And by happens. the way, here's 18 pounds for yeah. you know your three day stint. God, as God a paratrooper, forbid. can you imagine being a paratrooper and jumping out of an airplane loaded down with cans no. of food for yourself? Good lord. And then having it just seems like a really bad idea. They had to calculate so, larger parachutes for that, I'm sure. Right. So mm-hmm. Ansel, Ansel is like not going to take this for an answer. He goes to the Wrigley Company, Wrigley Gum. Okay. And they give him ten thousand dollars to look into this further mm-hmm. this 10 grand burning a hole in his pocket right. and he goes to the cracker jack people he's like can i have some more money and they say no mm-hmm. but never let boxes. us figure out the boxes for you that is exactly what they do he then goes to a local grocery store not in chicago in minnesota ah. and he gets some dry sausage some hard candy hard biscuits and some chocolate and he kind of puts together this prototype Got it. for what the the rations would be he did not name it the k rations he was pleasantly surprised when oh. it all got picked up and happened that it was called the k rations but that was really neat so as an aside in 1941 m&ms were invented by forrest mars senior mm-hmm. he had seen spanish soldiers carrying chocolate pellets covered in a, a candy shell during the spanish-american war mm. during world war ii it was it was a great idea to invent m&ms because 
they melt in your mouth, not so your hand. So did he really invent them after he saw somebody else doing the exact same thing from another well, army? Well, yeah, no. It was, <laughs> is that cultural, cultural Appropriate, well, um, appropriation? Cultural appropriation, but it's certainly militaristic supply appropriation. He definitely pioneered the technique for candy coating okay. chocolates and on a, an industrial scale. Sure. Okay. That is why, so that you wouldn't have sticky trigger fingers. Okay, or anything else, I imagine. Or gum up, yeah, yeah, gum up your your weaponry. Yeah, grenade. I mean, you itch your upper lip, and you've accidentally given yourself a Hitler mustache. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it's so many things could go wrong when you're eating chocolate in the field. I I got you. It's like it's like wearing the antler hat when you're hunting. You can't do that. You can't. No, suddenly show up. Bad idea. I like to wear my my arrow headband when I go hunting. That's my gig. <laughs> so anywho, the Navy, the Navy agrees. They're like, okay, you went to all this trouble. Uh, now the Navy agrees to test the rations out on some sailors and the K rations were born. It was great for paratroopers or people in the field for short bursts, mm-hmm. but they became so popular that they were used throughout all the armed services pretty quickly, okay. replacing most of the sea rations. So sea rations would still be out there. You know, they're not going to throw them away. They're going to be used, oh, and they made they millions forever, yeah. of them. They truly do. Um, but these brick-sized boxes would ultimately hold some sort of canned meat, a cereal bar, instant coffee now, hmm. a bullion cube or lemonade mix, uh, some yeah. gum. Hey, Wrigley's. Hmm. There you go. I wonder how that happened. Was that part of the $10,000? There'd be gum, salt, sugar, and sometimes toilet paper, but always Only cigarettes. Only if you're lucky. Right, well, sure. Only if you're lucky. Can you imagine furiously opening up all of your K rations because- Yes, that was that was the one thing you were hoping for and you got cigarettes instead. Yeah, this gum didn't work no, at exactly. all. <laughs> but at least, at li- listen, at least the at least the, the container is paper-esque. As yeah, and your gum wrapper. Right, true. A little small, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> and wrap your cigarettes. Uh... Anywho- Sorry, guys. So, yeah, of course, there would always be four cigarettes in there and some matches. Um, Supposedly, the lemonade mix was inedible. It was so sour. It was just excruciating. You couldn't drink it, but it made a really fine floor cleaner. Oh, all right. So Ansel continues to study physiology. So he's made this amazing contribution to the armed services and continues to study physiology, specifically the effects of starvation. Hmm. So during the war and after the war, he sees the other countries that are involved and the mass starvation that's going on, how it affects people's psyche, people's ability to think, mm-hmm. ability to heal, uh, what happens to the size of your heart, what happens to the size of your lungs. Um, he, he wants to study all of this to see what he can do to, to make it better. So he gets some conscientious objectors to do a study on. Now, conscientious objectors were people who were refusing to fight in the war. Okay. So if you're drafted and you're a conscientious objector, you can say no. <clears throat> and ideally, what you would hope for is that you would be put into this civil public service corps. Okay. Only about 12,000 people got into the civilian public service corps. And that's where you would go around and, you know, help build schools and parks, what we should have all the time. Sure. But uh, most people who were conscientious objectors would be shipped off to a kind of like concentration camp. Mm. It was grim. It was awful. So he didn't have trouble at all getting volunteers for his starvation study. Okay. 400 people volunteered. 
36 made the cut. He ended up doing the study with 32 people and he studies them for six months and they are starving. Mm. He starves, starves, starves these people. Equally important, he figures out how to refeed them. So once they have reached the starvation and they've been studied so thoroughly, now he can figure out the best way to, and the safest way to put pounds back on and make people whole again. Okay. Because it's in, in his mind, if you have a starving populace, a right. food poor populace, they are never going to accept democracy. They are always going to go towards whatever is being promised to them or whatever they're afraid sure. of. Okay. Even before COVID, we had over 41 million Americans face hunger every single day. Mm. And at least 13 million of them are children. That was pre-COVID. So it's it's just exploded now. Mm. And I feel like, you know, we've got an election coming mm. up and starvation is very real in, in American society. And it's it's something that is oft overlooked. But as much as we're donating to candidates, we want to keep in mind all of our food banks that are around. And if you can't donate, that's totally fine. They're always looking for volunteers. And if you can't leave your house because you don't want to volunteer with other people because of COVID, then there are things you can do from home for sure. You, could, you know, they do all sorts of fundraising and phone, phone banking too. But yeah. So he continued to study physiology in Minnesota. And you know what they have in Minneapolis? Cheese curds. Maeslax is this <clears throat> restaurant. It was started by an ex-pro wrestler. Okay. It's meat sandwiches. It's just a giant pile of stewed, garlicky, delicious shaved mm. meat in bread. It's like their answer to a Philly so cheesesteak. There's no cheese on it. Oh, it's fantastic. Mm. Um, and then you go <laughs> you go and have um, a big thing of fried cheese curds sure. after that. And let's just say the food's really rich yes. in Minnesota. Yes, it is. All of these dairy-fed, plumped-up, rich businessmen in Minnesota – we're coming down with tons of heart disease. Surprise. So he's, yeah, shocking yeah. to us, but it's no, the reason it's, the time, it's right. not, yeah, yeah. The reason it's not shocking to us is because he figured this out. This is him. Wow. This is him. So At 13 he, years old. <laughs> he posited that there was a correlation between a high fat diet and heart disease. So he, he studied people in Southern Italy. Lo and behold, they're eating tons of fat, but they're eating good fats. Mm. So he puts together two and two and realizes that you can have good fats and live longer and have lower cholesterol. You'll suffer less heart disease. You know, this is the, the father of the Mediterranean diet. Interesting. Okay. Have, has your doctor told you to go on the Mediterranean diet? No, no, no. no. People close to me have been I, told I, to go on the Mediterranean <laughs> diet. Um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. So only recently have I become sort of super conscious about what all of these different diets are sure. so you've got you know anti-sugar you've got atkins you've got keto. It's, it's a lot of uh, your olive oil based right like for your right this is there's there's carbs sure. you can have pasta and stuff just not not overdoing it um mm. but you can also drink wine okay wine is a big part of this so he's in very intrigued nobody believes him they all think that this is like <laughs> this mediterranean diet thing is baloney okay and honestly especially it's in, only especially in minnesota yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, yeah. So it's taken, I mean, it's taken until recently to have study after study after study done so that the Mediterranean diet has really kind of exploded. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there've been numerous studies confirming Ansel Keys's findings, but there's also been numerous studies that sugar is a huge 
culprit in heart disease in any kind it, it causes inflammation uh, and there's all sorts of physiological problems you can get from consuming too much sugar and sugar mm -hmm. could be in the form of white bread it could be in the form of wine it can be in the form of the candy that you're mainlining <laughs> keys himself was actually super critical of the guy that came out for no sugar hmm. and he's like this is baloney that's absolutely not true that's mo the most ridiculous thing i ever heard you know sugar is is what we need to to perform so you know we have to take everybody's thing with kind of a grain of salt yeah. in the, and also you know where are you from what is your um hereditary going to predispose you yeah. for they had actually some some of his critics had pointed out that his studies he did a major study the seven country study that he left out france and denmark and norway because hmm. they were three countries that were eating lots of dairy fat right lots of meat fat and mostly low healthy. low yeah almost no hmm. heart disease Interesting. and why is that and Maybe it's because mm. they don't eat as much, but Maybe. anywho, uh, and he also got criticized because when he did a lot of his studies in Greece, it mm. was during Lent. Eh, so stuck in the deck there a little bit. Yeah, people weren't doing it. Yeah, quite as much. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but it, it the Mediterranean diet definitely worked for he and his wife. She lived until 2006. She died when she Ooh. was 97 years old. Amazing. He lived until he was two months shy of 101 in 2004. <sighs> Amazing. So she outlived him by two years. And what's really amazing. So remember, she was a, a brilliant research scientist on her own mm -hmm, account. Mm -hmm. He had hired her. They wrote three books together oh. and two of them were bestsellers. And so with that money from those books, they were able to buy a villa in oh, Naples or just amazing. south of Naples and lived on this giant, beautiful. Eating their Mediterranean diet. Eating their Mediterranean diet. Um, the books that they had written were called Eat Well and Stay Well, uh, the, the Benevolent Bean, <laughs> hmm. right. uh, How to Eat Well and Stay Well, The Mediterranean Way ah. was their big one. And those were, that was like, you know, late 1960s, 1975 was How to Eat Well and Stay Well. And I think that was the, the, big, the one. big one. Yeah. 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 Amazing. But he had done it. Yeah. That's, it's, a, that's, it's, a, it's, that's a lot. It's a lot of things to bring to the to bring to the yeah. and there was great nostalgia for the sea rations um trip affleck who's a big supporter of the show hi trip hi trip was in the navy mm, thank you and back in service. the 80s yes thank you for your service very much um back in the 80s and when mres came about meals ready to eat mm -hmm. uh they were meant to dump or eat all of their sea rations and they was like whatever you do don't save these let's just get them get rid of them get rid of them now and everybody like everybody saved them they all like squirreled them away so hmm. you wouldn't have to get rid of them meals ready to eat or something else have you ever had any of these i have i have not i've i've seen them i've seen them for sale i've seen them as novelty but i but i have mm -hmm. not ever eaten one they've gotten pretty science fictiony yeah uh, you can open them up now when they're exposed it's like the heat packet things. right that's i know that they're self-heating and oh they get that's really cool. hot that's super awesome. super hot it's very cool and then they have um Beef jerky sticks that are caffeinated. No, oh, that's smart. Mm hmm. That's pretty Snap cool. Snap into a slim gym and then scream. <laughs> <laughs> They're intense. Yeah, that's okay. awesome. I too love, many I love uh, beef, beef jerky. jerky. Yeah. So, Ansel, um, yeah, Ansel Keys. He's our, our kitchen god of the week. Thank pretty you, Ansel. Smart dude. Thank but you, also, Ansel. you know, packed in 14 lives worth of, worth of uh, learning and experience into one. Mm-hmm.
It's crazy. Yeah, now I'm just what, what strikes me the most is I need to write some bestsellers so I can get a villa in that's Italy. That's clearly that is the only way to get a villa in, in Italy is to write some bestsellers about beans. That's a fantastic and and inspiring story for many reasons because you can be in, you can be inspired to question everything. Number one, you can be inspired mm-hmm. to run away and shovel um, bat poop for uh, you know while, when you're 13, just in case. Now my son's gonna be 13 next year, and I will offer him the option to go to Arizona and shovel bat poop just in case mm-hmm. he is destined to change the world for something. You never know. Maybe that maybe that's the key. There's something in the guano. Yeah, but the world needs. I don't poop, think he'll take me up on tickers. it. I don't think he'll take me up on it. I can't get him to use the treehouse, so I can't. I don't imagine he's going to go to Arizona to, <laughs> to shovel bat people. But well, maybe still, you could just get you can get a bat house for the backyard, and he not can... a bad idea. There are definitely bats around here. Yeah, definitely bats are very very bats. important to the ecosystem. They certainly are. I would I would like to study physiology if it meant I could create. Laser Mr. Cats. Rogers and laser cats. <laughs> not Mr. Rogers, but. <laughs> yes, robotic shoe changer. <laughs> Sorry, Captain Steve Rogers, not Mr. Rogers. I never told you about my Mr. Rogers fantasy. You know, no, no, I never, I never heard that. But you know, he could be my neighbor. I, no, I will, I will avoid wearing button-down red sweaters just in case, just so you can concentrate. Uh. Well, thank yeah, you, Michelle. Anywho. This was this was this was this was quite the journey through through uh, Ansel Key's life. And yay, um, Ansel Key. Yeah, and I I like. And thanks, I, Dad. Yes, thank you, Dad. That's, that's Colonel and Dahl. Thank, and thank you for your service, Colonel Dahl. I think that's that is, uh, and you know, I I hope you and I hope we did you you justice uh, in this episode. Making, yeah. making fun of thanks for listening mom and dad things, yeah um and thanks for listening everybody else don't forget to click like it and subscribe you can follow us on instagram at kitchen gods podcast you sure about that yep and our <laughs> our website is kitchengodspodcast.com you can check all out all of our back episodes including the lovely paul newman podcast as well as everybody else yeah it's good times good Oh, uh, I want to let you know, Lauren was asking about, she's a nutritionist. She was asking about um, the recipe for the potato leek soup. So I'm actually going to film a little video of how to make Jeff Pen's potato leek soup as he made it for that demo. And um, we'll put that up in the next week or so. And I'll I'll send that out in a little newsletter and stuff. Yum. All right, guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Ken. Thank you. Bye-bye, everyone. (laughs) Bye.